Welcome to the Liberal Europe Podcast, the European Liberal Forum Project. I'm your host, Ricardo Silvestre. And what a great episode we have today. I'm very happy to bring back to the podcast Antonio Nestoras. Antonio is the Deputy Executive Director of the European Liberal Forum and responsible for the Policy and Research Unit at the Secretariat. Antonio and I will go into the ELF policy paper, Stage Integration for Future EU Enlargement, Renewing the EU Enlargement Project, a Matter of Necessity, Not Choice. That was authored by Maria Lesina, which is a PhD and an ELF Policy and Research Officer. And by the way, I want to thank her for the opportunity to put this conversation with Antonius together because her publication, that it's a must-read, is based on the results of the 2022 ELF Working Group on Stage Integration and proposes a policy model that can bring a solution to the long-lasting stalemate in EU enlargement. This solution, and this is part of the conversation today with Antonius, it's to have a revised enlargement methodology with a stage integration approach to progressive ascension across a variety of sectors. And after our conversation, I'll be back to tell you about some of the events organized by ELF for this month of July. I'm here with the Deputy Executive Director of the European Liberal Forum, also responsible for the Policy and Research Unit, our returning champion and the man that has been repeatedly told he would do a great James Bond villain, Dr. Antonio Nestoras. <laughs> Antonio, how are you, my friend? Hi, Ricardo. All good. Thank you very much for the invitation. Oh, it's good to have you back. And we will be talking about mainly a policy paper that is called Stage Integration for Future EU Enlargement. And this connects to a larger conversation that we're going to have on the podcast with another episode coming where we're going to discuss this topic in particular. But before that, uh, tell us about you. How are things? Uh, and you are now the Deputy Director of the European Liberal Forum. The last time I had you here, you didn't have that yet position. So how's things with ELF? Everything is going really good. We have been going through some changes and uh, a leadership transition, which is now uh, settled. Yeah, we focus on uh, on the work. It's a very exciting uh, upcoming year before the elections, uh, and everyone is up for the job. Yeah, I was going to bring that up exactly. Uh, we have <laughs> quite quite a few months before the, the European elections. Antonius, we know he's Greek, and uh, actually... That is a discussion that we should have some other day about the growth or the need of growth of liberal parties, growth in Greece, in Italy, in Spain is quite, um, right now we're in, in, in a difficult position also, us liberals, I mean, with the other party. So one of these days I'll have you back to talk about that. But with pleasure. Today we will talk about stage integration for future EU enlargement. I follow Antonio's career closely. I know that you've been talking with a lot of stakeholders on this all around Europe. So I start with a challenge to you. In this policy paper, there is a sentence that says, to preserve Europe as a continent of freedom and peace, enlargement has become a matter of necessity, not choice. Please get into that. How do we get to that point? It's an easy answer. Um, EU enlargement is, can be seen also as the completion of the European project. And this completion is a matter of geopolitical imperative from, from my point of view. As far as I'm concerned, this is 
the, the completion of the European project is a matter of security and stability for the whole uh, continent. We should consider enlargement as a means to enhance security and uh, stability across Europe. And by expanding its reach, the EU can extend its regulatory framework, promote cooperation on defense and security matters, which is an absolute political or geopolitical imperative, uh, as I said. We've seen through the past years, through the recurring crisis, especially during the pandemic, that these two regions that we're talking about, enlargement, the Eastern Partnership countries and the Western Balkan countries, they have been like a backdoor for foreign influence and interference. And I'm talking, of course, uh, about Russia, uh, China predominantly, and uh, Turkey. So we have to uh, protect ourselves by completing the European uh, project. It's not a matter just of enlargement, that this is not the end in itself. The end is the completion of the project. If you look at the map, right now, especially when we're talking about the Western Balkans, you can see that this is almost like there is a there is a hole on the on the map of the continent uh, in the region. It's a very crucial region. And when we're talking about Eastern Partnership, the fact that these countries are not integrated yet, of course, opened the door. It's, it's not the, the only factor, but of course, contributed to the fact that Russia was able to invade uh, Ukraine. To the original uh, statement, it's not a matter of us choosing or not which countries to integrate. It's a matter of security that we complete the European project. There is also this idea that, and I'll quote again, that there's an unreasonable slow pace of EU integration. And you just mentioned what are the reasons to speed it up. Tell us a little bit, and then what are the most important problems? What, what is delaying this? Is this coming centrally from European Union, or also there are problems locally with, with the countries that are trying to ascend to the European Union? Give, paint us a picture where we are right now. I believe I have to start by saying that the integration process, the enlargement process, has been one of the most successful, if not the most successful, foreign policy projects uh, instruments uh, of the European uh, Union. So there's not criticism when we say well, that we have to adapt the European integration process, the enlargement process. It's been very successful in the past. Uh, it worked wonderfully in the past, but we're living in a different world at the moment. So we have to adapt it to respond better to the challenges uh, of the world that we're living in. Two decades ago or three decades ago, it was the, the process as it is now, it worked very well. They were, the, the, the candidate uh, countries were lining outside the EU. They wanted to, to get inside the EU. They wanted to implement uh, the reforms. There, were, uh, there was a lot of support from the, the population for European integration, in favor of European integration. There were no major security concerns. There were no major alternative narratives. There was no other way, in, in other words. Um, these countries mm -hmm. would make it inside the EU. Now we see that the same process that was working very well in the past is not delivering a lot of results uh, anymore. To give you a practical example, 
we celebrated, we commemorated, let's say, we commemorated the Thessaloniki summit of 2003 on the 21st of June, a week ago, uh, where the integration of the Western Balkans was officially started. 20 years after that, we have only Croatia joining the EU, mm-hmm. and we don't even have started negotiations with other countries, some of which are ready to start the negotiations. So we have to ask ourselves, after 20 years of this process going on, mm-hmm. without any significant results apart from Croatia, which is definitely a success story, do we have anything to celebrate on the integration process um, results? I don't think so. So we have to start wondering what can mm. we do better. And now on the factors of the delay, usually it depends on who you ask. If you ask the Europeans, if you ask people from Brussels, officials of the EU, they will tell you that there is no progress on the ground. There is no progress in the region. There are no reforms. They are still uh, baffled by domestic politics and regional uh, problems. If you ask people from Western Balkans, they will tell you also that there is no intention or there is no motivation. There is no will, political will from this side of the EU to integrate uh, the region. And to some extent, both these arguments are true. Mm -hmm. There is fatigue. There is enlargement fatigue in the Commission. Uh, there was an intention to, fro- to to freeze the process mm-hmm. for the past uh, 10, 20 years, um, officially stated by the previous commission president. But at the same time, we see that there is also lack of uh, progress uh, in, in uh, the Western Balkan uh, countries. And of course, that's understandable. We, we totally understand that it's not easy in... Uh, a very difficult geopolitical situation uh, to implement uh, reforms. We cannot ask too much from the political establishment in uh, in these countries, but we have to engage better with them. It's for me, it's just a mystery that we have. Let's take an example. We have the EU, the whole EU, on the one side, and we have Montenegro. On the other side, um, no, looking or Albania or uh, any any other country looking to enter the the European Union, and um, the EU is not engaging in domestic politics, trying to uh, you know influence the political uh, decision, saying ah it's not up to us, it's not up to us. Uh, if you if you if you make you know a comparison, it would be like. Washington not engaging with Puerto Rico, saying, ah, it's a matter of domestic politics only. We cannot do anything in in the country. I know it's not the same thing, and people will object from various points of view uh, with the comparison that I'm making, but these are the same sizes, more or less. So we have to engage more in in the region. We have to have a hands-on approach. That's one thing. That's on the political level. And then... On the second level, trying to improve integration process or to adapt it, let's say, to adapt it to the current circumstances. Uh, And this is the main contribution that we're trying to do with the policy paper that 
that we're discussing now. So far, the the integration process was a very simple process. We, we had we we had two statuses. We had no member and member, and in between we had a very long negotiation process where uh, negotiating chapters were opening and closing. And when this whole process was done, we had the accession of the candidate uh, country. Now, what we are proposing, and it's not like we're trying to reinvent the wheel, uh, and it's not a groundbreaking um, uh, change, let's say, is to introduce some intermediate steps. There are two main, main contributions. The first one is to introduce intermediate steps that we call stages, but you can call it whatever you want. Um, so intermediate steps, once some um, negotiating chapters are closed, then there should be some kind of reward, an integration reward for the candidate country, mm. the country in question. And then after another package of negotiating chapters are closed, then we should have another reward. Now, these rewards we can discuss. It's a matter of uh, technical negotiation. But the, we are trying to make this contribution on the political level to reignite, if you wish, the process. The first stage could be integrating mm -hmm. uh, the, the, uh, the country with a single market. The second could be integrating the country with the Schengen, into the Schengen area. The third would be integrating the country into the, the Eurozone. And then the final step would be to have the full member with the full voting rights in all the EU institutions um, and so on. So this is the main one of the two main contributions that we are trying to to um, promote, advocate for. And the second main contribution is to introduce a time frame. This is absolutely crucial, also for the countries in uh, the region to have some sort of a time frame, a target date in the future where all the parties involved the eu and the western balkans know that we they have to make it for the let's not call it deadline but they have to make it for a target date so it's not an open-ended process but it's a very specific target in the future mm -hmm. i mean any any target date would be more or less arbitrary but what we're saying is 2030 this is the time frame that we have to, to give. It's enough. A lot of things, a lot of reforms have been implemented already, and we have to give a final push. And introducing this kind of time frame, it would be beneficial for the domestic politics, but also for the politics on the EU level in terms of um, you know, overcoming the enlargement fatigue. Very good. Uh, you brought us a lot for us to think about, and I will be touching about this scaffold that you just mentioned. So not only stage integration, but deadlines. But before that, I want to go back in a couple of things you said, and one of them has to do with enlargement fatigue. And listen, if we can even inside the own European Union have like member states that are fully member states getting into Schengen, area, for example, because some of the other member states don't want to. So it's not just enlargement fatigue, it's, it's political impediments, it's political problems. How can we break those? For example, I was just thinking about Romania. Romania 
there's problems with our Austrian friends. So this extends then to this fatigue that you were saying. How, how can we break this? It's just like this is just, just politics regionally or it could be a more of a complete work done in the European Union? Hmm. That's a very good question. Oh, thank you, sir. But listen, the, um, the uh, life is going to solve this problem for us. It's, um, it's lack of ambition, really. It's not fatigue. It's lack of ambition. And it's not realizing that we're living in a different world and the geopolitical arrangement right now is really a threat to uh, security, stability and our own values. Uh, it's not viable, the situation as it is now. Mm -hmm. This is what I'm saying. Uh, we don't have to uh, go all over the place and try to convince everyone. Um, life itself is going to do this work uh, mm -hmm. for us. If people have not realized during the pandemic and after the invasion of Ukraine by Russia that we have to integrate these countries inside the EU and we have to finish what we started, really, uh, then there's no matter, you know, shouting outside the European Parliament that we have to finish this project. No one is going to be convinced if they're not convinced uh, already. It's just a matter of, you know, reigniting slowly, gradually the process and uh, bringing everyone on the same table and uh, aligning the diverging interests, interests that you mentioned also. And this is a European reality that is always going to be with us. Diverging interests, different priorities. And we have uh, made a lot of progress in the past in trying to create processes that will, you know, merge those interests and create one common denominator, at least, mm -hmm. um, to guide our political uh, decisions. Mm -hmm. We have done that with great success. If nothing else, we know how to make a compromise uh, in the EU. So it's a matter of time. This is my good message for the day. It's a matter of time for people to become convinced um, that we have to move forward with uh, uh, completing the European project. I do agree with you. It's a question of time and gen even if it is just a generational change, the concern is that we're seeing a lot of extreme right parties and populist parties getting into government, actually. And uh, those ones, it's not going to be easy to explain to them that Russia and China are problems when they are behold to Russia and, and China. But uh, we'll leave that for, for a second moment, because I want to go into something else that also you mentioned, which is the non-interference of the EU into uh, regional affairs and, and then how that is uh, counterproductive. But at the same time, it should still be a merit-based candidacy. So the, 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 the countries that are trying to ascend, they have to show work. They have to show that will. And I always think about Serbia. How Serbia is a lost opportunity because clearly... They are not that interested, or if they are, I don't know, they may be like lost in their politics right now. Also, a lot of Russian influence gets back to what you were saying. Do you think like an example with like Ukraine, where Ukraine is going full speed, that is their motivation, that is the drive, that this also can spark regionally with the help 
naturally of the European Union, showing the entrance, showing the drive, that we can have that acceleration that you were just saying? That has happened and will happen too. Um, as I said, Ukraine accelerated everything because they found themselves in this tragic situation. The EU changed also its own pace mm -hmm. because, because of yeah. that. Uh, we see that Ukraine is now fast-tracked, yeah. or at least there is an effort to fast-track Ukraine um, in the integration uh, process. And it makes sense. It makes absolute sense. But of course, we have to remember that this is also a merit-based approach. I totally agree with you. And what we propose is not to remove the fundamental principles of European integration, which is uh, the, the Copenhagen criteria, for example. So there is, we're not saying, okay, we want you in however you, yep. you are. What we're saying is that in order to bring these countries to the level of democratic governance and economic growth and um, social change that we want, we have to have a hands-on approach and we have to slightly adapt the process. Mm -hmm. And this hands-on approach for the European Commission or for the EU in general, let's say, is also something new. The, the EU, the Commission, was not created to interfere, not even inside the member states. Mm -hmm. But this changed, and this changed because of crisis. And as always, crisis is the engine of European integration, is like what, what drives us forward. Um, it changed because of crisis, the debt crisis um, 10 years ago, the migration crisis, COVID. now the war, the COVID, of course, thanks. So we have a different commission right now. It's more able to, uh, let's not call it interference, but as I said, to engage, yep. hands-on engagement, even with the, the member states. We have conditionality mechanisms now. The commission decides with a very long process, uh, of course, uh, whether one of the member states is going to receive the, the funding or not, and when, and so on. Just to give mm -hmm. you um, an example. This is also something new, and this makes managing the, situ the, the, the project more complicated, but uh, also more flexible in many ways. It's a better way of managing these diverging interests also that, um, that I, um, I mentioned uh, earlier. And domestic politics that are far less consensual towards the EU integration, um, because you mentioned also the, the far-right parties. Uh, ten years ago, it was the far-left parties that were on, on the verge of becoming governments across the continent. Now it's uh, far-right. All these um, non-mainstream Eurosceptic uh, parties that are appearing, if we have a good integration process and uh, governance on the, on the EU level, I would say it would mitigate also the repercussions or the implications or the consequences of um, non-mainstream Eurosceptic parties joining the governments across the continent. Very good point. And also, I totally agree with you, and I've been seeing that often 
both at the European level but also at the European Commission, which is to have that engagement. It's not only a political process, it's also a social process. It's to show to civil society of those countries in particular that we are interested, that we want them to join. Because if we mention enlargement fatigue, there is another uh, side of that coin, which is enlargement disappointment. It gets to a point that people in those countries are like, well, the, the, the European Union is just a promise, a faraway thing that we can't feel and we can't get excited about it. So it's time to, to get that uh, engine running. So this brings me to, again, the scaffold that you were just pointing out. So where are we right now with this, Antonio? So this idea exists. The mechanics are there. They are sound. They are also based in liberal values and ideas. So what do we need next? No, states integration is a concept, an idea that has been discussed for quite some time. We did not invent it. Uh, there are a lot of uh, research um, institutes and think tanks that have been discussing the idea, both in Brussels, um, other European capitals, and the regions concerned. Um, but so far, there was no real interest because, as I said, people did not realize the degree of the threat of not completing the, the European project. We are doing our job on the political and the technical level of promoting and advocating in favor of um, a, a changed approach, a more engaged, hands-on, staged integration uh, process. Um, there's a lot of work to be done on the political level, and that's what we're focusing on. And there's a lot of work to be done on the technical level. And there, allow me to say that the technicalities of the idea, of the concept, it's not the most important thing. Mm -hmm. If there is political will, and that's what we're focusing on, if there is political will, then all these technical matters, issues, uh, will be solved. Um, we cannot just, and, and we have to you know, include uh, the region in discussing how to change the integration process. That's another thing. Uh, we have to uh, make sure that we advocate in favor of these changes also uh, in um, the country's concerned. That's why we have, we are actually um, uh, doing a roadshow in the Western Balkans, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. promoting the state's integration paper concept and, um, and so on. So uh, again, it's a matter of advocating for changes towards the direction of staged integration and then the technical matters, where I'm sure there are a lot of objections from people who know, uh, experts in the field, we can discuss and we can agree mm -hmm. and we can find compromises. The, 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 the question with political will is because we are going into European Union elections, and of course we're not going to try to predict the future. We'll have a new European Commission, so uh, that is another piece of the puzzle that is going to fall sooner or later. So we'll, we'll keep following that very closely. You just mentioned that, and you are now getting back 
to you a little bit. You are in those both positions, which is you are in the field, but you are also centrally in Brussels doing the work as you expressing about not only the politics, but also the technical part of it. Do you feel like there's... So when when you tell us there is this emergency, there is this crisis, we need to solve this, we need to move forward with this, do you feel in Brussels and when you are, you know, on the on the countries that we were just mentioning, do you feel like this then has room to growth? So you you are optimist on that. I I I, I gather. I'm an optimist because I saw it with my own eyes. Okay. Um, when we visit. Um, Western Balkan countries, uh, or we meet with our counterparts from uh, the region, there is a lot of suspicion in the beginning. <laughs> Understandable. They keep on telling us that people are disillusioned, they are losing hope, that the support for European integration is um, fading, and that there are alternative narratives that are you know on the rise um, but once you explain the the concept and what we want to do they're also very suspicious that this is going to be an alternative to full membership that they will be forever caught in limbo yeah. between member and non-member uh, that's a valid concern but we're trying to address all uh, concerns. And once you, you try to do that, you see that the people change their stance, unavoidably. And this is something on a very human level that we have to uh, take care. Uh, you cannot go to anyone and say, look, if you want to be my friend, you have to change A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Right? You have to change yourself completely. Well, you and did only after that. We can well, Antonio, you did that with me, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I'm a villain. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to interrupt you there. Continue, continue. Um, so you you cannot go uh, you know, all in, to all these countries and say this is what you have to do. End of story. Do that and then call me. You know, you have to be. You have to to operate on a more human level mm -hmm. and say this is we have to do this. This is how we're going to do it. How can I help you? Let's do this. Um, explain your motivations, your intentions, your plans for the future, and make sure that if you promise something, then mm. you also deliver. Mm -hmm. If you expect people to deliver, and you make promises, then you also have to deliver. This, this is exactly what I'm saying, hands-on uh, approach. To me, it is impossible that throughout these 20 years, uh, Europe was not able to influence the political reforms in those countries that are needed in order for them to get inside the, the EU. That is, it is not an excuse. It is not an excuse. It's a very good point. We're running out of time. It's always great to talk to you, and time flies when you are here in the podcast. It's always a pleasure to listen to you. But I want to tease, at least we'll spend one minute in here, 
because I want to tease the next podcast, it's going to be a week from now, with uh, Emil Kirzas and Vesna Pusish. And I know this is, um, this is work that we've been doing together, me and Dal Secretariat, because we really want Emil and Vesna to come to the podcast, because these are people that actually are also contributing, are also doing the work, the legwork. So please get a little bit of the importance of having people like this in the process. Emil is a very good friend of mine. We go back uh, a lot of years uh, together inside the, the liberal family. And he has been hyperactive in the region, promoting liberal values and uh, European integration. He has been contributing immensely in the concept, in advocating for the concept um, from the side of the European Liberal Forum and the wider liberal family. Um, so we're doing the, the roadshow together. He has been crucial in drafting the, the paper and the workshops that we held before actually drafting the paper. So what can I say? He's a pillar in this effort for promoting state uh, integration. And Vesna, I mean, Vesna is a legend in the in the region. I don't think that she needs any kind of uh, introductions. Uh, so, uh, but I'm very happy that we have these uh, people um, engaging with the, the work that we do in the region for reigniting and the integration process and completing the EU project. Indeed, and that will be the next podcast. Uh, now we are going to thank Antonio, so much for your time and for talking to me. This is an important, very important job that ELF is doing and the ELF Secretariat, and you in particular, and I thank you for that. And it's an ongoing, uh, not only process, but also conversation. So sooner or later, I will have you back to talk about that and uh, the just breaking news that you were invited to be the next James Bond villain. So <laughs> <laughs> I wish. Listen, this is always great. Thank you so much for talking to me. Thanks a lot, Ricardo, for the invitation. Always a pleasure. I'm back. Just reminded that you can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. And if you feel like it, give us a five-star review. In that way, you can help us spread even more liberal values and ideas. And now for some of the events organized by ELF for this month of July, from the 6th to the 8th of July, organized by the Fidish Naumann Foundation Project Polska and with the support of ELF, we have Liberal Communicators Network, Nonprofit Academy, and Tell Me Your Story. This Alumni Academy is a cooperation between the Liberal Communications Network and Tell Me Your Story Academy of ELF and Project Polska, and participants will explore the synergies of the two networks and leverage storytelling expertise. To know more about this event, you just have to go to liberalforum.eu forward slash events. And this is all for now. I'll be back soon with more podcasts. Until then, let's keep making the world a better place. This podcast is produced by the European Liberal Forum, co-founded by the European Parliament, and have the support of the social liberal movement Think Tank in Portugal and Liberté Foundation in Poland. The views expressed herein are those of the speakers alone, and these views do not necessarily reflect those of the European Parliament and or the European Liberal Forum. Yeah.